Amen. You could open your Bibles up to Psalm 13. The series is called Psalms, Songs for Every Season. The hymn book of the Old Testament is the book of Psalms. They were written for every season of life. And one of the questions in the survey we sent out to the church is, what season of faith are you in right now? Is it summer? Things are going well. Is it fall? The weather is changing. Is it winter? Everything's terrible. Is it spring? God brought you through some things, and now there's a new dawn. Um, Today what we're going to talk about is, what happens when bad things happen to good people? What happens when suffering comes along? How do we process the problem of pain in the Bible? If God is so good, why is life so hard? Questions that you may be asking yourself. The Psalms are very aware of the problem of pain in this life. Take, for example, Psalm 10 verse 1 says, Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Have you felt that way? I'm in trouble. Where is God? I'm in trouble. Where is God? We are going to go through so many psalms in this series, and get this, do you know that over half the psalms are psalms of lament? Sad songs, songs about trials and and suffering and problems and pain and confusion and wrestling and fear, over half! Wow. God's absence seems to contradict his promise to be near and his character to be good. So part of lamenting is protest. This isn't the way you said it would be. And part of lamenting is realizing that life is hard and God wants us to understand how to talk to him, how to sing to him when life is hard. So this is a psalm of lament The sermon is called, How Long, O Lord? Here's what it says. How long, O Lord, to the choir master, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This psalm is broken into three basic parts, two verses per part. The first thing you can write down is this, how long, O Lord? The Bible validates the question. It's a question you can ask him. It's a question you can pray to him. It's it's something you can sing to God. How long? How long, O Lord? Delay makes things so much harder. What is God making you wait for right now? In your life, What do you feel like should have already been done? What answers should you have already been given? What problem should have already been solved? Uh, What relationship should have already been mended? 
What is God making you wait for? In general, we hate waiting for anything, right? Last year, I told you my daughter Cassie got her driver's license. And do not go to the DMV, ever. But particularly now, it is exceptionally bad. When we were getting ready to get her license, we heard stories. Oh, you're going to the DMV, you're going to get your license. Oh, you better get there three days early and camp out and bring a tent and, and bring a little kitchenette for yourself because you're going to die in line there. We're like, oh boy. We got there early before the sun came up. Here's a picture. We brought camp chairs. We sat down. The line stretched all the way back on the sidewalk and all the way around the street. There's Cassie. She dressed warm, sitting there in her little chair. And it took hours. It took hours and hours and hours. And here's a picture. We finally got in. She finally took her test. And I forgot my mask, which is why I had to wear that one. And then she got her license. <laughs> but boy, was it a wait. She would say it's worth the wait. But my goodness, when we were sitting in the freezing cold line, how long? How long? This psalm expresses that longing. Lord, how long? One writer said this, this psalm expresses deep human misgivings about the character and activity of God and their effect on human life. It's not just how long, it's, it's deep misgivings about feeling like God is really mishandling this situation. What does he say here? How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? Feels that way sometimes. How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul? That means there's a wrestling, a, there's, there's torment within. How much, there's, there's, in the counsel chamber of his heart, there's just commotion. And have sorrow in my heart all the day. There's, there's day-long sorrow. There's wrestling within. Write this down. I feel forgotten. I feel forgotten. Will you forget me forever? Have you ever felt forgotten? David feels forgotten by God. Maybe I'm at the back of the line. Maybe I'm at the bottom of the list. Maybe there's a queue and I'm not in it. Maybe there's a take a number and I can't find it. But I feel forgotten. I feel forgotten. Have you ever felt forgotten? Have you ever felt left on hold? Have you ever really been left on hold for a long time? Like 10 minutes goes by, 20 minutes goes by. Sometimes they give you the heads up. The average estimated wait time is four years, five months. <laughs> they give you a heads up, right? When it comes to wait time, sometimes we feel like we're praying and we're just on hold. No one's picking up. I read a really cool story about kind of a dorky, uh, a dorky thing. The article says the strange story of Cisco's hold music. There was an uh, interview on This American Life podcast, and uh, they asked, where did the hold music for Cisco's phones, they've got 65 million phones, right? So every day, millions of people are put on hold, and they all hear the same song. This song, which became their official whole music in the 90s, um, has become kind of a cult thing. Like people like get really into it and follow it, sometimes listen to it throughout their day. So this interviewer was like, I need to get the story on this hold music that is becoming um, really, really interesting. And so here's what they found out. 
It was a Yanni-loving 16-year-old computer nerd who wrote the song. And if you know who Yanni is, you're definitely up there when it comes to age categories. His name is Tim Carlton, and he's now a mostly ungoogleable IT guy in the Bay Area. He recorded the this, this song on a four-track when he was in high school and forgot about it for almost a decade. Then Carlton's nerdy friend Derek went to work for Cisco and got put in charge of finding the hold music and called his friend and said, I want to use your song for the hold music for Cisco. And Carlton was like, um, well, okay. And I'm going to play it for you right now because I guarantee you, you've heard it at some point. Check it out. This is the official Cisco hold music. This is on 65 million phones at least. It's just so soothing. This is what you hear. Please hold. Here's the melody. How many of you have heard this on hold before? I'm tempted to just let this play for the rest of the sermon. And on a sermon on waiting, I'm going to make you wait for the whole sermon. <laughs> okay, so a high schooler wrote that. And, and then it, become, it became like the maybe number one listen to whole music in the entire world. And, uh, and so they interviewed this guy and they said, has this ever yielded anything good for you? Have you ever made any money? Has anyone ever bought you a drink? And he's like, uh, no, I don't think I ever tried the, you know, I wrote the default hold music for 65 million songs line. He's got nothing for it. Why? Because it's hold music and no one wants to be on hold. The article says, hold music is a replacement for silence that delivers one message. Yes, you are still on hold. And that might be the message, that's the message this psalm is sending. Yes, you are still on hold. God will make you feel forgotten. God will put you on hold. Hey, guess what? The psalms are full of hold music. While he's waiting, he's writing this music. These are songs hold music. So while you're on hold, these are the songs that should be playing in your soul. Not the faithless doubting clamor, right? Can you imagine if they did that? We're going to put you on hold. And then they started saying all these terrible things. No one's going to pick up. No one loves you. No one cares about you. You should just hang up right now. No one would stay on hold. And this is the nonsense we tell ourselves. But if you listen to the right music, it helps. Has anyone ever literally forgotten about you? I feel forgotten, but sometimes people forget anniversaries. They forget birthdays, right? My, when I was in college, my best friend forgot my birthday. We saw each other earlier in the day, and we had known each other since kindergarten, so it wasn't that big of a deal. But when I realized he forgot my birthday, I was like, oh boy, it's going to hit him. I don't know when it's going to hit him, but it's going to hit him. And then later that day at like six, we met at a coffee shop with a bunch of our friends and he literally ran out of his car and he got down on his knees and said, I forgot. And there was a wind, there are people in this coffee shop. I mean, there were like 50 people watching and he goes, 
Hi. I forgot. I'm so sorry. Forgive me. He forgot my birthday, and I never forgave him. No, I'm kidding. I did. But look, this is what it feels like. It feels someone forgot me. God will make you feel forgotten. How long, O oh Lord? I feel forgotten. Jot this down. I feel unseen and unheard. How long will you hide your face from me? God's not looking. He's not looking. Hide your face from me. Consider me. God's not listening. God's not looking. You feel that way? I feel unseen and unheard. God's eyes are elsewhere. He must not see me. I guess it's a big universe. I guess he has big problems. Have you ever been ignored where like you're literally there, but they're not looking at you? We went to a Chinese restaurant once many years ago, and they didn't come up to our table and take our order for over an hour. Now we had friends there, so we were chatting, and then we're like, boy, we've been here for a while. And then people are walking, oh, can we, oh yeah, we'll be right there. Oh, okay. And, and then at one point we're like, how long has it been? And then we check, we got here over an hour. So finally we had to tell the person, stop walking. We know you're busy. We've been here over an hour and you haven't taken our order. We were right. They just walked right past, didn't stop. Well, what happens when you feel like God's doing that? I feel unseen. I feel unheard. My voice is drowned out in a sea of noise. I feel like I'm hurling my prayers up and they are crashing back down to the ground. Is that how you felt? God must be busy or distracted. Maybe I did something wrong and he's mad. Maybe there's something wrong with me. I feel unseen and unheard. I feel forgotten. Jot this down. And I feel like this has gone on for far, far too long. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? I feel like this has gone on for far too long. See, this is where the challenge really comes in. You're in your groove, right? Bad thing happens. All right. I got this. Me and God. Doesn't go away. Whew. All right. I got this. <laughs> Doesn't go away. Doesn't go away. Doesn't. Then there comes a point. That's the point where you feel like I can't take this anymore. Like I can't take this anymore. That's a big temptation right there. I'm out of energy, I'm out of patience, I'm out of grace, I'm out of love, I'm out of money, I'm out of whatever. I, boom, right there. And Jesus wants to meet you right there. Well, why did he meet me back there? Don't worry about it. But right at that moment when you feel like everything you've got in you is gone, that's where, and you've got to be able to identify that, I'm at wit's end. The stakes are really high in this psalm. This is a life or death situation. I feel like this has gone on for far, far too long. God, the time for you to act is now. This represents a problem between the expectations and the reality of life. You see, you had an expectation. Well, surely this is only going to go on for a little while. Then it went on longer, 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 longer. 
Then you feel like something wrong and unfair has happened. This can't be the way it was supposed to be. When it comes to expectations versus reality, we have to sort through all that. What expectations do you have of God? What expectations do you have in the Bible? What expectations do you have for your life? And let's face it, when it comes to what we expect, our, uh, our ideals are way too selfish and high. Like we really want hardly any pain, more money than we know what to do with, health, regard, health you know, for the rest of our lives, and then like some really quick passing into eternity, right? That's what we want. Our expectations are so selfish and so, and, and anything less than that, and we're like, oh no. And so let's talk about expectations versus reality, because you have expectations right now of God that are just very selfish and self-centered and way too idealistic. There are memes all over the internet about expectations versus reality. Here's a few of them. Uh, when it comes to advertising, there's the advertising and there's what you get in the bag. Expectation, reality. When it comes to travel, people have posted expectation versus reality pictures. Here's one. You can put the next one up there. Expectation, we will see the world. Reality, don't touch me. <laughs> Sanitize your hands and put your mask on. Expectation, here's the next one. Uh, we will go see the Great Wall of China. Look at how beautiful and picturesque it is. Ah, look at all these people. <laughs> Expectation versus reality. I like this next one. Expectation versus reality. I'm going to be Aquaman for Halloween this year. <laughs> Expectation, reality. <laughs> what they're trying to capture is often what we expect is not what turns out. Another online version of that is Pinterest fails. I don't have any pictures of them, though. I see something on Pinterest, I try and do it. The reality is horrifying, right? You have expectations of God, and let's face it, often our expectations are not rooted in Scripture, right? So life will be hard and difficult. There will be hard people in your life and nonsense and chaos and health problems and this is the complaint. This is the complaint. God, things are going very wrong. This is the complaint and even the protest. And you said you would help. And it feels like you're not. There's this tension, okay, when our expectations are not met. Now, if we're going to resolve some of this, here's what we have to do first. First, we have to realize that God has promised to not pamper us in this world. I hope you realize that. In fact, if you want to light your prayer life up, pray, God, whatever you do, do not pamper me in this life. Make me strong. And if you want to rile your relatives up, say, I'm praying for you. Oh, what are you praying? I'm, I'm praying that God doesn't pamper you. I'm praying that he makes you strong. Stop that. No. I'm praying that he doesn't go easy on you. I'm praying that he doesn't pitch underhand to you. Stop it! What are your expectations? It's okay to talk to God, but we have to realize this. God has promised in this world we will have trouble, and often a lot of the nonsense that we deal with is we had an expectation that God never agreed to. Here, here, Lord, I made up a contract. You never give me any pain, and I follow you forever tear it up. You make sure all of my children turn out right, and tear it up. You give me the perfect job with the perfect boss, and everyone who works, tear it up. I want only good neighbors on all sides of my house. Tear it up. God's never agreeing to that. 
God isn't a cell phone service who's going to give you in writing all of these detailed provisions and all that. No. God has promised to never pamper you. In this world, you will have trouble. Trouble. Sometimes people think their life is going really well because God is extra happy with them. Well, I've just done things so well. That's why I have all this money and these uh, toys. And uh, God loves me so much more. Oh boy, that's coming crumbling down. You think the good things in your life is because God loves you a little more than everyone else? God's going to push that Tower of Babel over right quick. And sometimes people feel like things are going wrong because God doesn't love them as much. Well, I really have never been anything special, and why would God answer me? Well, that's wrong. See, so our expectations can be part of the problem. Expect God to bring suffering into your life. Expect it to go on for too long. Job's agonizing search for God took 37 chapters of the book. You ever in your devotion life, you're reading through the Bible, you're reading through Job, and you're like, this is going on for a long time. Did Job really need to be 37 plus chapters long? It took that long for God to arrive. It sends a message. God promises suffering. Why? Because the world is broken and fallen. Because people are selfish and evil. Because he is being patient with them. Hopefully driving them to repentance. Because he is kind to the good and the bad. Because sin broke the natural world order. Because he is a good father who disciplines his children. Because he's brokenhearted and wants you to feel that about this life too. That's why God messes your life up. So tear up any agreement you're trying to make where God stops making your life hard. Throw that away. Number one, how long, O Lord? Number two, okay, okay, okay. I'm in it. Hear me and help me, O Lord. Write that down. Hear me and help me, O Lord. The first part was this request and kind of a protest, right? How long, how long, how long is a lament. And then it moves on. Hear me and help me. Meet me in this, Lord. Many Bible characters complain to God about his behavior. Abraham, right? God's about to rain fire down, right? On Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham had a chance to interrogate God. Well, what if there's righteous people in there? What if there's a hundred? What if there's fifty? What if there's... Will not the God of all the universe do what is right? Abraham got to cross-examine God. Moses frequently would go into the Lord's presence and be like, don't do that. The Egyptians will see and they'll say terrible things about you. He complained to God about what he was about to do. Elijah He runs away to a cave, right? What are you doing here, Elijah? I've been doing the math, and I'm the only one who follows you. Hmm. Uh, No, actually, I've got a better accounting department than you. There's well over 7,000. Still follow me. I don't know where you got your polling numbers. Elijah complained, right? In the New Testament, Lazarus, right, his sisters, if only you were here, Lord, if only you were here, he wouldn't have died. All throughout the Bible, people complained to God about his behavior. Hear me, help me, O Lord. You can say that to God. Jot this down. I can't make it through this without you. I can't make it through this without you. 
Verse 3, consider me and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Uh, he's, he's not making it through. He's talking about the sleep of death. Like this is life or death. These are big problems. I can't make it through this without you. Paul told the Corinthians, we despaired even of life. Things got so bad on the mission field, Jesus didn't have a lot of followers to start with, okay? And, it's, and, and then, you know, the apostles said, we feel like we're sent out into the Colosseum as men doomed to die. Jesus was very reckless, seemingly reckless, with the lives of his apostles, right? And Paul is, we almost died, right? We were, we were on death's door. And he says, this happened that we might learn to depend on God and not ourselves. I can't make it through this without you. This is a portrait of prayer. Are you praying? Are you praying? What are you praying for? Are you telling God what you're afraid of? You know, even if, even if you feel like God has allowed your life to skid and you got three tires over the cliff and you're barely hanging on, right? That's time to pray. Hear me. See me. Hear me. See me. Hear me. See me. Are you crying out? It's time for prayer. I can't make it through this without you. And remember, God never promised to prevent this pain. He will meet you in it. He promised you would have pain. So invite him to go to work. And by the way, the day will come when you have to cross over that bridge to the next life. Guaranteed. He has never promised to prevent your physical death. He has promised to swallow it up with life. I can't make it through this without you. Jot this down. People are making it worse. People are making it worse. It says uh, in verse 2, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? That's what's even worse. You're down in the dumps. Nothing's going right. Your life is out of control. And then, and then, someone over there is like, my life's going just fine. Everything's going well. Or, worse, they're watching you and they're like, <laughs> I love to see it when they get it. You feel like people are watching you, rooting against you, wanting you to suffer, wanting your family to break up, wanting your job to get sour, wanting you to, get, to not get the promotion. People are making it worse. Who is it in your life that's rooting against you, that's dragging you down? Is there anything more exhausting than relational wounds, ongoing conflict, the bickering, escalating texts, arguments, blow-ups, people being harsh or demanding? People are making it worse. God, people are making it worse. Hear me and help me, O Lord. Consider me and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Hey, are you praying about the problem people in your life? Man, if, God, if you've asked God to grow your faith this year, he'll bring problematic people to do it. Oh, they'll get the job done. They'll get the job done, right? Number one, how long, O oh Lord? I feel forgotten. I feel unseen and unheard. I feel like this has gone on for far too long. 
Number two, hear me and help me, O Lord. I can't make it through this without you. People are making it worse. Number three, jot this down. I trust you, O Lord. I trust you, O Lord. So this is a lament. There's the complaint. There's, so that's the protest. Then there's the petition. And then there's the praise. Okay, if you want to lament, and, and understand there's a difference between closing your fist at God and saying, you're getting it wrong, and I can't believe you've done this to me, and I'm never going to follow you again. That's not lament. That's apostasy. Okay. Lament is protest. This isn't right. This shouldn't be happening. Protest. Petition. Help me. Praise. While it's unfolding in the process. And how are you doing it? Praising God in the process. While you wait. While you're on hold. I trust you, O Lord. Verse 5, I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Now often there's a lot of, when it comes to the timing of what he's saying here, you can read this as he's looking back. I've trusted in your steadfast love. <clears throat> And based on that, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation, meaning I'm rejoicing right now. He could also be looking to the future. I'm trusting in your steadfast love, and he's imagining himself singing to the Lord because he believes God is going to get this done. You can, you can apply this to any past, present, or future, right? I know the commitment I've made to the Lord. I'm standing right here, and I'm not falling away. And God's going to come through for me, right? Past, present, and future should be full of praise. I trust you, O Lord. Probably the most, um, probably the, the thing that Lauren and I have kind of been praying to God about the most, and, uh, and when it comes to timing, we kind of needed him to come through. We had decided last year that we are going to uh, move, and we're going to sell our house. We live in Alsip, and we were looking around. We wanted just like a little bit more yard space and one more room, right? The girls share a room in other, you know, college, high school, and we're like, all right, well, let's see what's out there. And so our neighbor came along and said, hey, we want to buy your house because our daughter wants to move in. And so we're like, okay, well, it seems to be coming together rather well. So we agreed to sell our house to our neighbor, and then we started looking for a house in the region here. And, and if you've been following what's been going on, it's the craziest housing market in history because there's record low inventory. There's never been inventory this low. So our realtors started showing us houses, you know, looking in Payless and Orland and, you know, all over the place, Oak Forest and Crestwood. And uh, what would happen is we would go and see a house. We saw 26 houses we walked through. And uh, these houses would get 10 to 20 offers uh, the weekend that they came online. Uh, so, so our realtor was like, I've been doing this 15 years. I've never seen anything like this. And we're like, but we already sold our house. <laughs> like, we're literally renting back. They allowed us to rent back. So we're like we got to buy something. And he's like, well, uh, so we kept walking through and we had made offers on four houses and the same thing would happen. They'd call us back and they'd be like, hey, we got like 15 offers on this house. So send us your best offer. And we're like, we already sent you our best <laughs> offer. What do you, what do you mean? <laughs> and so people are paying crazy numbers for house. 10, 20, $30,000 more than they should. They're having trouble getting them appraised for that value. It's just total chaos out there. And we're like, okay, well, Lord, we've gotten ourselves into this mess and we just want you to lead us and 
you know the whole region. You can put us around the right neighbors and in the right place. So we would just pray. And we told our realtor, look, we're playing our game. We're not doing crazy things right now. We're going to trust God. And we think he's going to come through. He's like, all right. And so anyway, this house came up in Crestwood and we went to see it and the pictures they didn't post the best pictures online so it didn't get a ton of traffic and we walked around and it's a fairly basic that's a ranch but it's got a you know a basement and a crawl space underneath it uh, but but the way this worked is the family originally owned this like whole corner and whatever so so the yard is really big and we've got teenagers and dogs so we're like ooh, love that yard and the basement is unfinished we could put a you know another room down there in a the rec room to fix her up or but so we're like, all right, let's just make our offer. And then when they say, you know, make your best offer, then we'll give them a little more. Yeah, we got wise. And so we, we made our first offer. And then the realtor called back and said, your first offer has been accepted. And we're like, what? And listen, we found out, not only was our first offer accepted, it wasn't even the highest offer in this market. And we didn't crazy overpay. And the, the guy is, apparently he's in some big fight with the inheritance with his family members. He's like, I just want it done, and I want the most solid offer. I don't even care if it's the highest. I don't want the appraisal to fall through. So the market drove him to make this wise choice. So, so we bought the house, and, so it, and, and it actually went through. But when we went into the closing, and I'll tell this story some other time, but we walked into the closing a few days ago, and our attorney walked in, and he said, well, this is going to be a real mess. And we're like, What? It was a two-hour closing. I'll save that story for next time. But he got it done. And so we're actually like renovating the house. You want to see pictures of it? Here's some pictures of what's going on. Uh, here's some things that we found over there. Jared found a giant wrench, which is good because it's a fixer-upper. Um, but Jared and his buddies got to work downstairs. And when they were, when they were tearing some old things up downstairs, this, uh, all these little BBs fell out on the ground. Check it out. Here's the next. I think the video is next. A bunch of little BBs fell out. Jared, what happens when you step on them? Show me. Wait, how are you using Whoops! <laughs> He's swinging a hammer, and there's nails on the ground. I'm like, everyone freeze! Here's some more pictures. Uh, you can actually, if you'd like, oh, see, well, actually, this, this is the wallpaper we discovered underneath the soffit or whatever. Yeah! Here's the next picture. Uh, if you are looking for vintage green drapes, uh, feel free to come by. You can see the backyard there, though, which is really pretty cool. Next picture is um, our plumbers have been hard at work digging up the downstairs yesterday. This is what I was doing all yesterday. Here's the next picture. They were making a mess to try and get a laundry room in there and all that. So there's a lot of work going on. Okay, now here's why I share this with you. First of all, this is a portrait of something that we really felt like, God, we're not going to have a place to go. Like, we need you to come through because we can't pay too much. And, and so God really, this was just such a, uh, God's fingerprints were all over it from the price to the way it came through. We're, we sold our house to somebody and we can rent back, which is allowing us to do this work. Like it's perfect the way God brought it all together. But I think that also serves as a picture of what happens while we wait for God. He's working the details out. He's getting the, the pieces together. He knows the complexity of your problem, right? And then, and then when you want it to be done, you know, it it's still, let's face it, we're all fixer-uppers. He starts jackhammering something. Why are you digging there? And he starts tearing some old curtains out, right? And, and, and he's getting the thing renovated. That's what it's like. And so we can lose heart because God's taking so long, but we have to realize that he is actually doing what he promised. We just have to give him time. He's renovating everything and bringing it all together. Therefore, we should stay committed to him at all times. I have trust in your steadfast love. 
Jot this down. Your, your love is steadfast. I trust you, Lord, because your love is steadfast. Your love is steadfast. It's not based on me being spectacular. It's not based on me making all the right choices. It's based on God's promises. Our God is a covenant-making God. He made a covenant with Noah, and that's why the whole earth hasn't flooded again. He made a covenant with Abraham, and that's why an entire uh, world full of people can be blessed by Abraham's offspring, the Lord Jesus Christ. He made a covenant with David, and that's why Jesus is going to be on the throne forever. God is a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. It's because God has already promised that you can trust his love, even while you're on hold or you're waiting. Jot this down. I will rejoice and sing. I will rejoice and sing. Because I have trusted in your steadfast love, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing. Hey, are you getting louder? The longer you're on hold, the louder you should sing. Right? Are you getting louder with your voice, with your singing? Doesn't matter the emotions you're feeling. Bring them all to God. This is a song. Can you imagine this being a contemporary Christian song? God's not looking at me. God's not seeing me. When will he remember me? I feel forgotten forever. The end. It's a very sad song. But this is what he's saying to God. John Calvin said this, the Psalter is an anatomy of all the parts of the soul, for there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is in uh, that is not here represented as in a mirror. In other words, you can bring everything you see in your soul to God, and you can sing about it. Your love is steadfast. I will rejoice and sing, and jot this down, you have been good to me. You have been good to me. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. He has, he has given me all of my heart's desire. I will remember his goodness the Bible gives us great reasons for God's delay, and I want you to feel like you can talk to God about that. You can sing to God about that. Maybe he's testing you. Maybe he's doing a deeper work in your heart. Maybe he's coordinating a lot of things that you can't comprehend. Maybe he's intensifying the problem so that you'll rejoice in the solution. Maybe, let's face it, if it wasn't this long of a story and if it wasn't this hard of a problem, you wouldn't remember that he even did something for you five years from now. Maybe it's because of our forgetfulness that things have to get that bad. Maybe God wants us to feel abandoned because that's how Jesus felt. Maybe he wants us to feel oppressed because that's what the world is full of. Maybe he wants to teach us how he's feeling about a person or a problem before he goes to work on it. Maybe he wants to remind us that we are a fixer-upper. And when he wants to put an addition on your faith, he swings the wrecking ball straight through the front door. What's the alternative? God, stop never work on me again, fix nothing, I want nothing new. Is that the alternative that you want? I think we should invite God to bring it on. Make me strong, Lord. Teach me to wait, Lord. Meet me in the delay, Lord. Write awesome stories in my life, no matter how long they take. Blow me away. God, I'm willing to wait, and I know you see me and I know you love me because you promised in Christ. Well, there's so much here in this psalm, but I want to invite you to take time this week to make this your wait song. Whatever you're waiting for, open up to Psalm 13 and let this play. Tell God what you're waiting for. 
Tell him what you want him to do. Tell him how you're feeling and tell him that you trust him and you love him and you'll sing to him. Let's close in prayer based on everything we've heard right now. Jesus, we know that in you, we have the new covenant. Father, you promised that in Christ, the love you have for us is secure forever. We never need to worry if you care about us, if you can provide for us. You have already promised us paradise forever. And it's in Christ. Jesus, thank you that you died on the cross and that your blood washes away all of our sin so that we can know that we're in a right relationship with God. We don't have to fear, though the world give way, though the oceans rise, though the heavenly bodies are shaken. We thank you, Lord, because your love is promised in Christ. We pray that you would meet us as we wait. Show us how to be patient. Fill our hearts with a new song. Help us to empty our minds of all of the faithless nonsense and chaos and clamor. And I just pray that you would remind us, Lord, that you will do abundantly good for us. How great is your goodness which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you bestow on the sight of others on those who trust in you. We trust in you, Lord. Be our shield, be our protector, be our provider. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.